Hi, I'm David Barr-Kirtley, author of the book Save Me Please and Other Stories, which is available now on Amazon.com. We had a great conversation about the book back in episode 500, so definitely check that out if you missed it. And I want to give a special thank you to Nicholas Rogers, who just gave the book a five-star review on Amazon.com. It says, Excellent collection. Some of my favorite short stories from the last few years, from one of my favorite creatives working in the industry today. Every story in this collection is worth the price of admission individually. The collection altogether is an absolute goldmine. Safest purchase you'll make all year. So big thanks again to Nicholas Rogers for that great review. All right, so now let's get to our show. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 515 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing Frank Herbert's Dune, a sci fi channel miniseries that was originally released in December 2000. And this will include spoilers for everything in the show, so just be aware of that. And we previously discussed the Dune novel back in episode 417, the 1984 Dune movie back in episode 432, and the 2021 Dune movie back in episode 491, so definitely check those out if you missed them. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Andrea Kale, making her 26th appearance on the show. She's a graduate of the Odyssey Writers Workshop, and her short fiction appears in the Writers of the Future anthology, Fantasy Magazine, and Lightspeed. She's been a television writer, producer, and script supervisor for shows such as Late Night with Conan O'Brien, The Chew, and WWE's Monday Night Raw and Friday Night Smackdown. And she's currently shopping her reality show, The Night. So, Andrea, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back, Dave. The next up, we've got Matthew Kressel, also making his 26th appearance on the show. His short story, Now We Paint Worlds, was just published on Tor.com, and the trade paperback and ebook versions of Queen of Static, the follow-up to his groundbreaking novel, King of Shards, are available now. Together with Ellen Datlow, he hosts the monthly Fantastic Fiction reading series at the KGB Bar in New York. So, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Good to be back. And also joining us today is Rajan Khanna, making his 21st appearance on the show. He's the author of the post-apocalyptic novels Falling Sky, Rising Tide, and Raining Fire, and his short fiction appears in magazines such as Analog, Lightspeed, and Beneath Ceaseless Skies. His articles have appeared on Tor.com and LitReactor.com. So Raj, welcome to the show. Always good to be back. Thanks. Okay, so let's start off with Andrea. So Andrea, had you ever seen this sci-fi channel miniseries before? I had. I saw it when it aired back in 2000, um, but that's the only time I had ever seen it. Um, I don't know that they ever, they must have played it again at some point, but I just never, that's the only time I ever saw it. And what do you remember what she thought of it back then? I remember, I remember thinking this isn't very good, Hmm. but it's passable. I have a very distinct memory of one specific shot where Jessica and Paul are running away from the doctors in front (laughs) of, like running in place in front of a bad green screen. Like that is burned into my memory. Um, and it, boy, when I saw it again, it did not disappoint. Um, so yeah, that's what I remember about it. Um, and it pretty much held up. Uh, in fact, actually it exceeded my memory of it being really terrible, but you're saying it was maybe, better, than, it was better than you remembered. 
It, it, no, it was worse than I remembered. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it exponentially it worse. Your bad. It your exceeded bad the bad. It totally exceeded <laughs> the bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had um, I, I I watched this around the, yeah around the time it came out, and I watched just the first episode, and I was like, nope, and I didn't watch the rest of it. I'm not even. I think I finished the first episode. I may have watched a little bit of the second episode. I really just don't remember. But n- nothing about it really stuck with me at all. Um, so I wasn't really that interested in watching it. But um, other people on the panel were enthusiastic <laughs> to talk about it. And <laughs> I promised I promised Matt way back when that I would let him talk about the sandworm battle. So I felt like we should do you that. Did? Oh yeah, yeah. Go back and listen to I think it's our the novel panel we did. Uh, uh, hold on, I'll go back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because you were confirm. like, you were, like I wanna, you were like, I want to talk about the sandworm battle, and I was like, save it for our panel on the TV show. This isn't the time <laughs> to talk about it. Um, I just want to say I did not advocate for this, so. On record. <laughs> oh, I see. All right. Everyone's, think, everyone's bailing out now. I, I, I will take the blame here. And I think I was the one who was like, we need to do this. We need to watch this and talk about it. I'm yeah, because sure it was me. I mean, I think for completeness, it's a good idea. I mean, like yeah. we originally sure. were planning to talk about it before the uh, the Denis Villeneuve movie came out. But it just, I don't know, it didn't happen to fit in the schedule. And I saw it. This is actually really hard to watch. It's not really streaming anywhere. Yeah. So I wasn't mm-hmm. sure how many people would have seen it or, you know, would, would want to go, you know, would be able to go see it. I actually, it's on, I just looked and now it's on YouTube. If you want to watch it, it's on YouTube. Oh, okay. Perfect medium. <laughs> I didn't, I, I don't think it was there earlier, but maybe I just mm-hmm. missed it. But, um, but it's there now. So it's a lot easier to watch. Uh, but, but yeah, so that's sort of the story. So, um, but Matt, you don't remember, you don't remember the sandworm battle that you were so eager to talk about? I mean, I get very excited talking about Dune. I probably said a lot of things. <laughs> um, uh, the Sandworm Battle? At the end. Well, okay. Well, we won't get, we'll, we'll say that. But um, <laughs> just what What did you remember? Did you want you, because you, I guess you'd seen this, right? If you'd seen the Sandworm stuff. Yeah. I don't know if I saw it in 2000. It's possible that I did. Um, do you remember what month in 2000 this came out? December. December. Yeah. I definitely saw it. Um, I think in 2003 when they released the sequel, Children of Dune, and I think they probably played them sequentially or something. Mm, probably. Yeah. That may have been, I definitely saw it then. So, um, yeah, I, I remember feeling that at the time the special effects were cheesy, but <laughs> liking it anyway. And, you know, I don't know if you want us to get into our thoughts on it just yet, but, uh, no, let's let's well let's let's get Raj to okay. just right. Raj. You, you t- had you seen this, had you seen this before? Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I remember. So I thought when I watched this that it happened in college, but it didn't. But I'd been talking about it with my one of my good friends from college uh, because we had discussed me reading the book of Dune, and we had watched the um, the Lynch movie together and talked about that and. Uh, so I remember it coming out and I remember honestly sci-fi channel being a big deal back in the day. Cause it was sort of like, yeah. you know, this is before they had all these geek stuff everywhere. It was sort of like, this was for us in a way. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and that, that, that sort of nineties, early two thousands CGI thing wasn't quite as dated as it is now. Um, but I remember watching it and I remember thinking, oh yes, they've, they've adhered more to the letter of the novel, which, 
you know, theoretically I would have appreciated, but it felt bloodless to me. It felt like it had no real life to it. And on rewatching it, that's kind of how I felt again. Like, I feel like all the flaws you can level at the David Lynch movie, it has a lot of passion, at least for the, you know, people working on it and, and sort of energy in that movie, whether you feel like that's good or bad. And this one is sort of like dead. It feels like a dead fish in, in a lot of ways. Um, I appreciate, you know, a lot of what they tried to do, but I just think it was, it's a hard thing. And I, I think it's also, I mean, I, I'm not blaming you, David, but I feel like it's a little cruel to like have to do this after we saw the, <laughs> you know, the recent movie because you, you know, that's arguably the, the gold standard now for Dune. And this, yeah. this was a 2000 TV miniseries with a budget of $20 million. And there's no, you know, with the data special effects and everything, there's no way it could even compare. And so in my brain, it was just always, flatter than i think it might have been before but um but yeah sorry well i think what i think one way in which this is an appropriate time to talk about this is that this you know the denis villeneuve movie only covers the first half of the book sure and this covers the whole book so it's kind of interesting to you know compare how this covers the first half of the book and then how it covers the second half of the book and kind of imagine how will the dune movie part two cover the same material to sort of speculate about that i think if i can just say really quickly what's interesting about that is i was looking at the runtime and i don't know the actual runtime of the version we watched but like the the director's cut is is almost five hours i guess um and his movies i guess are going to clock out around five hours maybe a little more maybe whatever because the first one was at two like two and a half so it's amazing to see what, you know, because everyone says, oh, you can't do it in movies, TV is better, but like they're going to end up being around the same timing. And I feel like yeah. they did a much better job in, in the first film, at least of, of pacing that. So. Yeah, I actually I didn't even realize there was a director's cut of this until just like this morning or something. Um, I assume Wait, we a director's wa- cut of the Villeneuve. Dude? No, the, the, no, the miniseries. Oh, I didn't know there was a. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, apparently. I just like wasn't. I, I'm not putting myself through that again, though. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I wasn't sure. In 2002, if... he he released a director's cut, and it's a little bit. It's longer. I don't know how much longer. I mean, this this was three 90 minute episodes. So yeah. so like okay. Raj is saying, this is going to be the thing we watched is almost as long as the Dune, or yeah, almost as long as the the two Dune movies together are going to be. They're they're about the same yeah. run times. Uh, but Raj, were you going to say something else about the director's cut or? No, I, I guess I, I only had some confusion as to which version I was watching because I was a little surprised by the nudity because I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't see this on sci-fi back when I was watching it. And <laughs> so it was uh, th- that was the only thing I was like, am I watching the director's cut? Because there are breasts and, you know, buttocks in, in it and, yeah. and things. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was interesting. Surprising. Huh. That's a good. I had not thought about that. Yeah, maybe we did watch the director's cut. I don't. I'm not even sure. Yeah, because I I was a little surprised too. I was like, I can't remember seeing this on sci-fi in 2000. But then yes. again, I could have blocked it all out. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, how do you guys think that this compares to the like? Obviously, the Denis Villeneuve is the like Raj says is the gold standard. Uh, so, what is the silver, in your opinion, uh, Andrea? The, I, this or well, the Lynch? I, I think this makes 
the Lynch version look like the like the Denis Villeneuve <laughs> version. And the Villeneuve version makes, you know, every, and the the Lynch version makes the Villeneuve version look like the, you know, a movie delivered by the hand of God. Like that's how much this po- popped everything up before it. <laughs> it was so spectacularly terrible. Um on, on, and also like on every level, it, not just like the, the actual adaptation itself. Like I didn't have a problem with what they did. Like I, I, w- I appreciate it. And I remember we had this talk about how would have liked to see the banquet scene, um, the mm-hmm. scene in the, 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 uh, with all the plants. What was that called? The, the, um, where she goes into the room with all the plants. Yeah, I know what you're talking. I'm not sure what, what it was called. Um, so it was nice to see all that, but, everything but it was just so badly written it wasn't even the writing it was the acting it was the 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 special effects the lighting the sets the you know i'm sitting here watching it going making 10 million comparisons one was like this is like a 1975 bbc production of a uh, i claudius and then i'm like this is one step (laughs) up from battlestar galactica 1978 and then I'm like, Star Trek 1968 did better stuff than this. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it was just so spe- – it was it was like watching a play being filmed. It wasn't <laughs> a movie. It was a play that somebody pointed a camera at. There were actually well, lighting cues. Like, hmm. what is – Well, let, let me let me say – I mean, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say a few good things about this. I mean, for one, I think part of the impetus for this was that the Lynch movie, as we discussed – completely eliminates the whole point of dune which is that paul is on this sort of dark has this sort of dark destiny or this this you know dark future that he's has to try to avoid or not and and the lynch movie completely gets rid of that as far as i remember and and just makes him basically into the the messiah hero yeah um and so this was i think the the idea was let's try to stick closer to the books in in this tv show and this was like at the time, this was, you know, this was back when the Sci-Fi Channel was fairly new. This was, the, I think, the first miniseries they did. Yeah. It was $20 million. So like by the standards of the day, this was a big, big investment for them to make. Um, and this one, what was it? It's like two Emmys for special effects or something. Wait, I have it here <gasps> somewhere. It's also uh, one of the highest rated things they've ever put on the, on the screen. Like they, they still to this day. Yeah, so so yeah, so Frank Herbert's Dune won two Emmy awards for outstanding cinematography and outstanding special visual effects uh and was nominated for outstanding sounds editing. So I mean that's just like totally baffling to me because yeah. like like Andrea was mentioning the scene where they're running away from the the ornithopter is is so like cheesy, but I guess back in 2000 for science fiction on television well- I I'm remember I, it, it looked like I said, I'm sitting here the whole time. I'm making like comparisons, ba- bad comparisons to like eighties, bad eighties sci-fi movies and everything. Um, and I, and as I said, I genuinely very sharply remember that one scene of the running in place in front of the green screen. Like it, it stuck in my head of like, how the, how did you think you could get away with that? <laughs> but here's the other thing I was thinking as I was watching it was, Maybe, and it, it could be that it looks so much worse now because we're watching it like on, you know, HD or whatever, whatever format we're watching it now, television is so much better and everything looks so much worse from the past. Um, and I think all those, like the eyeball, the, their eyes, 
you can see the actual context in their eyes. Yeah, yeah. And I bet you, you know, 20 years ago, when you're looking, you wouldn't see how with such detail that that was a, a, On a your contact. TV, yeah. Yes. Does so that explain I'm, the costume choices too? Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe. No, that's a whole other thing. Good lord! What was with the triangles and the head? Good, what the? Come on! You didn't you didn't like the giant triangles behind their head? Triangle, my god! The emperor's last outfit was ridiculous. Like, oh, but all of the outfits. I I I think I took a note when I first saw him. He was wearing like that purple mylar outfit. I'm like, he looks like he wandered off the set of Xanadu. Like, (laughs) is he going to go skating and with with Olivia Newton John next? What is going on? It's actually okay. It's it's funny because I watched this making of documentary about this, and the director, I forget. I think they filmed it in uh, like Prague or, it was, or yeah. something mm. like that. And there was some local um, like costume designer who was just a legend in the country. And um, the director said, "Hey, would you like to do the costumes for my Dune TV show?" And this guy said, "Oh, I I don't touch science fiction. I'm way too good for that." And the director says, no, it's it's not really science fiction. It's not going to be just like people in spandex, you know, and he, he talked him into doing it. And then you look at the costumes for that, which, as you say, has the most like preposterous outlandish costumes of yeah. <laughs> like it could almost you could possibly imagine. It's just- Although I, I like Princess Irulan's, um wardrobe. Yeah, that's uh, fine. I felt that, yeah, that they did a good job with that. And, you know. The yeah the the special effects like there were some places where it was like they just literally like they didn't even do a matte painting they just had like like a backdrop that they un like a scrim yes. a scrim yeah it's like yeah. Th- it's like a it's theater, like theater. It, the, the flats it There's was yeah. flat and flats. I was like I was like that's an odd choice because you know maybe they didn't have the money for a matte painting but. Um, you know, certainly they had they had green screens by this point. Like, I, I so I, I was just very curious that, or at least like, um, light it better so that you can't really tell what's going on in the background. Yeah, that the was, lighting that, was awful. That was odd, but I did like part of the uh, Emperor's Palace, um, and I thought that the you know the the Fremen. Uh, the sieges. I thought that the the way they designed the sieges and and Arakeen, like the streets of Arakeen, th- some of that stuff actually I I thought worked for the time and 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 I think we're we're spoiled by the special effects today. It's so good. It just everything looks real, like it's flawless. But we kind of forget that 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 was really really hard to achieve. Um, you know, even oh, yeah. Star Wars that had this huge budget. You look at you watch the original one, not the enhanced one not the remastered and it's like yeah that's clear you know the death star is a model you can just tell like when they're on yeah, the close but it's show. it still looks better though it they, still looks the star better, yeah. star wars still exceeds it does exceeds exceed this it does exceed well, there yeah. were a lot of questionable choices yeah and but- i think w- one of the issues is that they didn't have like a good aesthetic like you you can again ding the lynch movie but they had a, an aesthetic yeah. a, an idea a point of view on what they wanted to portray the same with them the the villeneuve movie so but this one sort of seemed a little bit loose and all over the place with and and some of the stuff seemed really like similar to what had what lynch had done in in some yes. ways and yeah I, um, I i think i wrote that note i was like those yeah. look similar to uh the guild navigate uh yeah. the guild navigator yes the guild yeah. navigators yeah by the way the um, the, the other guild people People, like what was that weird acting choice was like oh, you know where he was doing hands? the hand motions oh, I, and stuff i hated I, it 
had to I had to ridiculous. pause to laugh. <laughs> it was and crazy. That last scene, the last scene where you're, yeah. you do not give orders to us. And then they cut to to Paul, and you know he's surrounded by you know his mother and Chaney, and then the little girl Ollie is sitting at his feet, and you're and they're all straight faced, and you're looking at the little girl, and she's laughing her right. ass off, and yeah. I don't know if it's because that's what they told her the character should be doing, or if she's just a little girl laughing at the crazy guy making hand gestures. That's yeah. what Wait, that's how are I we calling it. her Chaney now? Because it's always been Chani before. I that's think that's what right? I always thought Chani. They're calling her well, Chaney. I don't know. I don't give a shit. They actually used the parent. I think it's the pronunciation that Herbert. Uh, oh, he said Cheney. Oh, wow. Cheney and, well, and Harkonnen. Harkonnen yeah, I, I got, but yeah. Go ahead, David. Sorry. Oh, well, well, yeah, that, that we were commenting that Harkonnen was not what we expected in the Villeneuve movie, yeah. but this is the same thing. So, yeah, that must be Herbert's preferred pronunciation, I guess. I mean, I, I'll, agree with, I'll agree with Matt, though, about I did think the, um, the Emperor's Palace stuff. The sets were were good for that, and yeah, and like the, um, the sieges, you know, the uh, the Fremen caves and stuff. I thought, you know, for for what they had to work with, I thought, uh, were pretty good. I mean, so and, yeah, I I mean, I I thought some of the acting was pretty terrible, but I also thought some of it was good. Like, sure, uh, I'll just go off really quickly who I thought was bad. Uh, William Hurt, like what? Like I I don't know what people see in William Hurt. Sorry, William, yeah. if you're listening to this. I, I don't get Isn't it. Isn't he like, dead he, now? No, he just yes, died. He dead now. Oh, all right. Sorry, I don't mean to speak ill of the dead. Um, you know, he's a low talker. He just he just like mumbles his lines and I'm like, is this Low energy. It's li- low energy. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, okay. I remember at the time being really upset that William Hurt was was cast. But even, I mean, he's always, I guess he's always kind of like that. But in this, he seems like he was drugged. I mean, it was a really, yeah. really bizarre performance, <laughs> I thought. Yeah. Like he was on tranquil. Like he seems like he was on tranquilizers or something. <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, as far as like, uh, acting that I did like, um, I liked, um, the, the woman who played Lady Jessica, uh, Saskia Reeves. I, I really? thought she was a great, yeah, I liked oh, her. Oh God. And, um, <laughs> Ian McNeese as, as the Baron. Um, he was good. He, well, it's he, because he's playing it for laughs. That was my interp. Uh, that's how I uh, halfway through it. I'm like, he's just, he's just like, fuck it. I'm playing this for laughs. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I I agree with Matt. I thought the Baron was good, and I didn't like the way that Jessica was written at all. But I thought the actress did a good job. Yeah. Oh. Okay. That's to- that's fair. I think that the the way that they wrote Jessica. I mean, I, that that's my biggest issue is somehow the way that they wrote some of these characters. I, I mean, some of the casting I think was off, but um, like Paul and Jessica being two of the most important characters, I was like, oh Jesus Christ. Um, I mean, Paul Paul mostly just in the first episode because they just made him an idiot and and, and i think an it, asshole God, he was, yeah. i wanted to <laughs> smack it, him He's and it, a spoiled I, brat. I think it was mostly to facilitate exposition so he'd be like oh what's going on over there and like why do i have to do this and people would be like well paul this is why you know but it just made him seem terrible and then by the end of it i was like oh this guy can like pull off the you know the kind of aggressive fatalistic paul in in a way but like that that first one i think it's partially because they were trying to make him seem give him the arc of like coming around to it but yeah. in the books he he's been trained like he he's yeah. a well trained aristocrat son so yeah 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 well no they, they never give you any reason to like any of the main characters at the beginning yes. which is like such a huge mistake you know you have to 
give us some, re- you know, you, Paul can't just be a whiny teenager and, yeah, you know, Lido can't just be a drugged, weird, <laughs> passive guy. And I, you know, you, I you felt like, w- like William Hurt was doing a, he was, he was like, like pushed into doing a high school Shakespeare play. And like, he was just like, okay, I'm going to do it. And that's, that's basically the same performance that he gave in this thing. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so Andrea, what did you think? Cause uh, you even had issues with the uh, lady Jessica in the Villeneuve version. I did. I, I, I have, I've yet to see her really portrayed the way she is in my head, but you know, um, but yeah, I didn't, woman yeah did i there's really no, the guy who played the baron uh that was fun but but sp- specifically because he made me laugh um i i trying to think of anybody else who wasn't terrible and i can't come up with anything but i think you hit it on the nail on the head where you you know um you know your two main characters paul and jessica are well she's fine I and mean, there's just nothing it's it's i i just I don't know that she had a lot to work with, but Paul just playing him like a whiny little bitch. <laughs> like, this is your main character. I have no reason to like him. And when you compare it to, you know, Timothy Chalamet, who's a mopey teenager, which everybody gets, but you still, you understand him. You, you, you remember how you were at that age and you get it. Um, but he's not, a, he's not awful. Like, this Paul is awful. Like I want to slap him every five, every time he opens his mouth. Yeah. Well, and I, I was saying when we discussed the 2021 movie, you know, there's just that scene between Paul and Lido where Lido says, you know, all the future, you're the future of this house. You'll always be my son. And and I was just like getting so emotional yeah. at yeah. that. And there's just absolutely nothing. Yeah. No, no connection, emotional yes. connection with these characters here. Yeah. And there's no, they don't have connections with each other. Like there's yeah. no, you know, I don't feel that father-son love between Paul and Leto at all. How many yeah. scenes do they share, you know? I think that's um, part of why I think it's bloodless. I feel like there's no chemistry between any of these people. Like, not between yeah. Paul and Shawnee, not between Paul and his father. You know, th- like, yeah. even with Duncan and, uh, uh, what's his name, Gurney, like, I don't, like... I don't feel like they have a relationship, whereas I did in the other versions of, of yeah. this, so... yeah. Exactly. So, I don't know. So, I'm, I'm trying to think, like, who was the best actor? In, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to, like, Stilgar, maybe? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I don't know. No, um, I, my vote's for the Baron. And, and yeah, also, maybe. Um, I, I, I enjoyed the guy playing um, Fade. I thought he was Really? Funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. it's like a great performance. It's just because the way he played it, it was just funny. Like him and the Baron playing off each other was funny. But that's not I that wasn't the point of all the scenes. So Well, okay, you know. let's let's talk about some of the changes that they made cuz they they added they 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 added a bunch of scenes involving the Harkonnens and um and the house Karina, you know, the emperor and um, princess right. Irulan and stuff like princess Irulan. Actually, she was, I actually liked her a lot. You know what? Think, You're yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah. You know what? Exactly. Julie right. Cox. Yeah. She was actually, yeah, was good, she was actually good. probably my favorite part of this adaptation. Yeah. Um, but so, so Andrea, you agree with that? Yes, I agree with that. Um, I thought it was uh, interesting to bring her into the story that she, 
in the book, all she is is the the narrator, um, or at least she opens up each chapter with her diary or whatever she's writing the histories. Um, so making her an active character, I thought was a really good idea, and she's good, you know. She's, yeah, yeah, she sells it to me. Yeah, let me just explain. So, so in the uh, Villeneuve movie, they cut her out entirely; like she doesn't appear in the part one at all. Um, and so in this, and she doesn't, in the book, she doesn't really appear at all, except as Andrea is saying, as kind of a, a narrator, you know, in the future, um, explaining what this, as if the events of this book are history. And so in this, she gets this whole subplot where she's sort of scheming and traveling to the Harkonnens to figure out what they're up to. And she goes and meets Paul at one point, um, on Arrakis. And so actually, you know, I've said that, you know, Dune, it's kind of a combination of like uh, a, a space opera court intrigue and then like hippie Lawrence of Arabia. Those are sort of two. <laughs> and I, I like the space opera court intrigue stuff significantly more. So the fact that so, so her storyline kind of like continued the space opera court intrigue stuff through the whole story. So I actually really liked that a lot. Um, so so how about Matt, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I th- I read uh, in a review of the series that they, the writer inserted Irulan's character into the narrative as a way to prevent the characters from having these long exposition uh, scenes. And I, I, I liked her. I thought that she was smart, clever, and it, it um, goes along with the with Herbert's theme of uh, of Dune's theme of like plans within plans within plans, and like she's, you know she's plotting while you know the the emperor you know her father's plotting and then the bene gesserit are plotting and and i like that they they weave that narrative in there um and i think that um in the book uh the bene gesserit send uh one of the sisters to to speak with fade and in 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 this case she goes to speak with fade to get information and it's so obvious why she's there um but it, you know, it worked. I, I, I like characters that are, uh, that have agency, that are doing things to get answers. And I, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I loved her, um, I loved her character. I loved her costumes. She worked for me. Yeah. How about Raj? What do you, what do you think about the, the changes that they, that they made to the story? I thought it was fine. I mean, I think, you know, I, I it sort of feels like one of those, Things where, like, as we talked before, I think you only have really one female character of note in, in all the whole thing. So, of course, you know, making another one who is in the book and like just fleshing it out just felt like a natural thing to do. And, and I do think it ties in more with the overall, like you said, the intrigue part of the story. And it helps explain that whole thing about what the emperor is doing. And she's sort of a, audience uh rep- representative in the sense that she kind of knows that it's all kind of fucked up and terrible and and sees what her father is doing and sort of is rooting for paul uh all along or at least that's that's what i took away from it um so i didn't mind that much i didn't mind that uh so much um and that was probably the biggest change right yeah oh for sure yeah actually uh, that reminds me i really liked the part where um so they did include in this the um the banquet scene Right. Uh, that we all liked so much from the novel. Um, I mean, it's pretty truncated here, but but in in that there's this part where um, Irulan and Paul 
like he does something he's like dancing or something it's a little weird but um but then he's pretending to be the baron i think okay um but then they have a conversation and then like her sardaukar guards come over and Mm -hmm. there's his um atreides guards and they're kind of have this like standoff for a moment there and i thought that was all really good and it sort of like foreshadows the the conflict and shows the tensions and stuff yeah i really like that scene too especially when she tries to convince paul that they're the same but he suspects that there's some deception there and the truth is that they are both you know products of breeding and and fate and uh have this terrible history in front of them that neither of them can control and then uh immediately after that like you said dave like the their two forces meet face to face and uh you know it was foreshadowing what's to come i i i thought that was a great scene i i kind of wish there was more of that gravitas throughout the 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 series but um you know we don't get too much of it Right, because cause we were saying, like, when we reviewed the 2021 movie, like, oh, this maybe this should have been a TV series because there's so much stuff that we would like to see expanded. And, yeah. you know, we're like, well, where's where's the four hour long director's cut and stuff like that? And it's, it seems like this that, you know, you I'm like, man, if this was in the the if, I, I'd love to see the Denis Villeneuve treatment of of this whole Princess Irulan storyline and everything. Yeah. I mean, that well, we're going to get more of that in the next film, right? Yeah. They've they've cast uh, Florence Pugh. Oh really? And yeah. Shaddam. They cast Shaddam as well, right? Like I can't remember who, who it is. I don't remember. It's Christi- but I- Christopher Walken. Oh, that's oh, yeah. right, Walken. Yeah. Oh, it's oh my so God, good. really? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's yes. so cool. I'm the emperor so cool. of the known universe. <laughs> 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 oh God, I will pay money. No, Walken's I will, amazing. Will absolutely Walken's pay amazing. money to see it. He's in. I'm watching him in Severance, and he's so good. Yeah, here. he's great. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's cool. I'll just mention the other casting they announced. Wait, I have it here. So I, I didn't actually know the actor, but the the, the Austin cast Butler, Fade Rautha. Yeah, yeah, I know, you know him. Do you know him? I do know him because um, I just he was in the Shannara show, but I never watched. Yeah, that, I but. watched that, and it's terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's he's one of those guys. Like I, I saw him in Shannara, and I saw him in. Uh, he was he had a very short role in um, Arrow, one season of Arrow, and. Uh, uh, he's one of those people that I don't like for no particular reason. Like I just hate his face. Like I, I don't know. If, like I have no explanation for it. Like he's done nothing. I'm sure he's a lovely person, but I just don't like him. So I think casting him as Fade actually works really well for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, because that's yeah, you're supposed to. You're supposed to hate hate him. him. Yeah. Oh, he's the guy who's playing Elvis in the Baz Luhrmann yes. movie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll just say Florence Pugh, if if anyone doesn't know who that is. I mean, I know her. She was the main character in Midsummer, uh, the Ari Aster horror, like Scandinavian horror movie. Uh, she was also, I guess, um, Scarlett Johansson's sister, sister in Black Widow. Black I never Grand, saw yeah. that, but yeah. yeah, she's very good. She's, she's very great. Good. She I was really her. good in Mid in Midsummer for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's. Uh, so I, I have a little list of some of the other changes. So, like like Raj is saying, the um. Yeah, you know, the the Irulan subplot was definitely the biggest change, and otherwise this is pretty uh, faithful to the books. I guess. I guess before I get into all my changes, does they, anyone they, disagree? They, yeah, I think it's faithful. They pull some stuff I think from later books into this one as well. Like, but but yeah, I, I'd say it's it's almost too faithful. 
Yeah. So nobody thought this was like a travesty in terms of how they changed the story or anything like no, that? No, not at all. Mm-mm. No. Um, so uh, they changed around the hunter-seeker scene a little bit. Yes, yeah, I didn't did. like that. Yeah, I was... Yes. It you was know what? pointless, I, too. There was no reason for it. I, I think I know the reason. I think they needed Paul to be able to explain to somebody else what was happening. You know, like, don't move or it'll find you. Like, so it had to go for her first. But then it completely undercut the idea that it was trying to kill him in the first place. And yeah. then and then he yells at Shut Out Mapes for walking in. Yes. Like, you, you almost got yourself killed. She just walked in the door, what? dude. Like, <laughs> what the hell? How dare you change my linen? Uh, well, so let me, let me just explain. So so in the um in the book... And in the previous film adaptations, as far as I remember, Paul is just in the room by himself and this little like drone, flying drone thing comes out of the wall to kill him. And in, in this, they change it so that there's this other servant in the room with him. Uh, that's and, and so he's, yeah, I think it's exactly what Raj says is that, that they, they just thought it would be better to have him explain to someone about how it seeks motion and stuff. Um, I didn't think that was too too bad an idea but well I just but Andrea thought, you didn't you don't like that no I didn't because one because the, I, I just I I see that you know exposition okay fine but I you know filmmaking is a visual medium you don't have to have people explain everything and I think if you see a thing coming out of a wall with a needle coming at you you kind of get the feeling that somebody's going to get hurt but whatever um but the whole time he's talking to her, first of all, his lips are moving. So if it's going to be attracted to movement, <laughs> it's going to be attracted to that. And she's also cringing and blinking as the thing's True. right in front of her. So she would be right. dead. So it was just, I don't know. It's also done. a very bright room. I mean, like yeah. how bad are these cameras? Yeah. <laughs> like that's not a person. That's yeah. just, yeah. Well, but it's like, I mean, I don't know, this this really makes sense anyway, but that is from the book, right? That this thing, it's like yeah. a T-Rex or something. Yeah. You can only see motion somehow yeah. for yeah. some reason. Yeah, it's just automated. No, actually, no, there was a control. No, there's an operator. There's an operator. Yeah, no, that's right. Because there's no AI in this world. Originally. In the it was book, a dim room, though. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was at night because he, he wakes up like he's, yeah. he was asleep. Like in the Lynch movie, they have Paul going, Hunter Seeker, it's attracted to movement in his head, like, cause they have so yeah. much internal monologue. But I feel like the, the, the most recent film handles it perfectly and it's fine. Yes. It's clear what's going yeah. on. You know, it goes right in front yeah. of his eye. It's really tense. It's really cool. Yeah. yeah. It's and he kind of, I just re, I kind of re, I just rewatched that and it's cool cause he kind of steps inside the hologram mm-hmm. thing to kind of camouflage himself. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. Um, and then the other thing is that then in a later scene, uh, the Baron and Fade, I think, are talking about how Raban kind of went uh, off the reservation to do this hunter-seeker thing. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I don't remember that from other versions. No. So, so I think that my impression is that they invented that detail for this TV show. Yeah. I think I that guess. works fine. Well, I think it's probably like a let's build tension here. Let's, yeah. you know, Raban's a moron and blah, blah, blah. And they have the Baron say that, like, he wants them to get complacent so that they're not on yeah. guard. So he doesn't want to challenge them. So right. in that case, you have to show that it, you know, wasn't his idea, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah, I thought I actually thought that seemed pretty good to me. I mean, so just to explain if anyone is, is fuzzy on the details. So um, the Baron has this. These two nephews, Fade, who's really handsome and charming, uh, and Raban, who's just really brutal and sort of dim-witted. And his plan is to have Raban 
subjugate the local population brutally, and then he's going to have him killed and replaced with with Fade. Um, and so, so yeah, so they create a, a bunch more scenes than are in the book or or the previous films um, to kind of like create more of a through line there, which I actually thought worked pretty well. So that I so yeah, I don't. It seems good to me. Yeah, yeah, it was fine. It's kind of hard to go oh it, to pick out the good things about it because the bad things are so overwhelming that you <laughs> just sit there just watching the bad stuff. Like I do, I felt overwhelmed by the the so many the bad choices they made that it's it's like you know you you I was like I, nobody was ta- nobody was good and then Dave you were like well the woman playing Airline I'm like oh yes you're right <laughs> she was right, good all right. like you had to remind me <laughs> the um. The arboretum or the garden in inside the Iraqi palace, uh, it was like it. It looks like you know when you go to the Home Depot section <laughs> yeah. of the plants. Like it looked like they just it's like Mall of America. <laughs> they told a PA to like just yeah, just get get by all the plants and they just stacked them on a table. I'm mean, like, like come on, people! Like couldn't you? Yeah, but like, I, I feel like yeah. like it's it's like panning for gold. Like looking, you know, looking at this show, and you know, you I think you, yeah. we have to just look at like okay, obviously the special effects look crappy and, and and so on and so on, but and the costumes and so on, but like what are the story choices that they made that you know. Like yeah. sort of teach you how to, you know, that we can analyze as writers in terms of, you know, how do you, you know, how do you adapt this book for as a TV show? I mean, I, I believe it's not until the second book or the third book that you learn this, that the fact that that uh, Jessica is Baron Harkonnen's daughter um, and they bring that, w- that way up forward in this. But I, I think that's kind of, I mean, when that gets brought up, it makes perfect sense and it works, I think. That, you know, it shows this genetic manipulation and how they're trying to kind of bring these bloodlines together. And they were even to have, you know, her daughter marry the Harkonnen heir. So basically, you know, bringing, making those two stronger. And I think that that being brought forward doesn't hurt anything and is actually a cool little element to bring in. Um Especially because like Jessica is portrayed as, well, less in this one, she's more blonde, but usually with red hair. And so like that fits with the way that the Harkonnens usually are portrayed. So, so I think that was a choice that I was like fully in favor of and thought actually did what was like a decent choice. I mean, I don't know that I think you can get by without it, but I think it, it adds an element to this story that you wouldn't get for another couple books probably. Yeah, I, I guess another thing I'll say for this adaptation is I feel like you get a lot more of the story somehow, even though it's the same amount of running time. But I guess maybe just because the action scenes are sort of shorter and not that good. But but <laughs> not good like, at all. like a lot of the I feel like you get a lot more of the world building and stuff. And like I'm thinking like um, another person I thought was actually really good was Liet Kynes. I yeah, thought, yes, I liked Liet. Was, and I feel like you get a lot more of him in this than in the Villeneuve. Because we were saying, like, in the Villeneuve version, Liet Kynes, it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, I want to turn the planet green. And that's just, like, really a brief sandwich between a bunch of, like, chase scenes and stuff. Yeah. And here I thought there was a lot more room for the character to to breathe and be developed. I agree. Yeah, when that guy showed up, I was like, whoa, what's going on here? And then I was like, oh, no, I like him. He's he's pretty cool. Like, he, he had a definite character to him, so... Yeah, he had a sort of gravitas, I think, you know, like that actor, yeah. So see, see, there's some good there was some good stuff. It wasn't a total waste of time watching this uh watching this miniseries. Well, I, I felt like, you know, as we're talking, it's like I don't feel like the writing was the problem. 
it's everything else. Like it's the production values and the acting that really just kind of, because like I didn't have any problem with the storytelling. I think they, you know, were fairly faithful of the book. Changes they made were respectful and made sense. Um, it was just everything else was just I, yikes. I feel like it falls prey to what Dune adaptations, I think, have to fall prey to because of the complexity of the book is that you have to have so much exposition in there and you yeah. have to accomplish it a certain way. And like, you know, you can have little data tapes running that say like, dude, desert planet, whatever you have. Some people say like, there was one point where, um, like Paul says, you know, do it in the emperor's name. And then it, there's like a comma and he says, shot him the fourth comma and like keeps going on with this thing. But clearly that was so that they could tell us what the emperor's name was so that it can be referenced later. But like it felt clunky and, and there were a lot of things like that that felt clunky. You know, a lot of the Paul asking stupid questions that he should know the answer to or, you know, or Jessica even. Like there was that point she's like, who's that water guy? And like I'm used to Jessica being like – you know, I know exactly what's going on. I've studied this planet, you know, Bene Gesserit stuff goes deep. And so, I think I think it suffered from a lot of having to shoehorn a lot of that stuff in. Um, I was also disappointed that Usul was not included in this. You know, they just relied yes. on the old Muad'Dib. Yeah. 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 I noticed that. Well, I, I think it's interesting comparing this to the Villeneuve movie because that basically doesn't like it doesn't explain there's a lot of things where it's just like mentats do don't worry about it you know the navig spice uh, the guild navigators like don't worry about it it's not important it just, and it just focuses on telling a compelling emotional character story and this tries to explain a lot more of the world's building and that's really bad and a lot you know yes. dramatically right. bad in a lot of ways but i feel like if you watch this you actually sort of know more about the worlds and what happens in the book than you would from watching the Villeneuve movie, which is, you know, like a million times better. But it, it's made this it, it's made this trade off of like dramatic effectiveness versus world building. Well, that's why I said it, it, it sounds it felt like a play because everybody's talking all the time. Yeah. There's no visual. Um, it, it's it's ceased to be a visual medium. You know, it was just talking and. You know, that's not a movie. Andrea, there was a diaper fight in there at one point, so. <laughs> oh, the diaper fight. That's right. I think I made a note when I saw it. I was like, finally, we get the loincloths. I was very happy about that. I guess that's another thing that bugged me, though, is that they, again, just like the Lynch movie, everyone's using guns. And they're, you know, like they established that there's the shields and that there's the slow knives and stuff. But then that gets completely forgotten. They and now suddenly everyone's yeah. using like rifles and grenades and, yeah. and all this stuff. I was bugged that they, you know, they set up the still suit. I, I thought the still suit design was the worst one out of all of yes. them. But yeah. but then they just stop wearing them at a certain point. And it's, it's sort like of like, like yeah. what the, you know, the whole idea is that this planet is so hostile that you have to like watch every loss of water and then they're just walking around in regular clothes outside at one point in time and i'm like what the hell is going on here like i get and i i get that and they've done this in every in in both movies too that you don't want to cover people's faces too much because how are they going to emote and you know the re that's the reason why we cast these actors in this thing so i can get around that part but like you know, at least in the other two movies, they wear those still suits pretty much every time you see them outside. So, yeah. 
I guess, um, I guess, Matt, is there anything else? I want to get Matt back in here. Matt, is there anything else you've been wanting to say? Um, you know, I know we were talking a little bit about the pacing of this and, and some, some of you said it felt a little slow and, um, kind of, you know, missing in points, but there was something about the pacing of it that I actually liked it. I mean, I, I love the Villeneuve movie, of course. Um, but it, it, it was, it's a very frenetic film. And of course, you know, we haven't seen the the whole thing yet, right? We've just seen the first half, but I feel like there was something about this series that took its time telling the story. And I respected that. And yeah, like the acting faltered at points, many points The the special effects, like sometimes the, the backdrop, I was like, this is like the worst sound stage. Like yeah. Star Trek sixties <clears throat> had better yeah. stages than this. Um, but you know, there's a saying that, you know, among writers, it, the story is, is everything right. And the story carried me through beyond all of that. And it's, I, I think it's just speaks to how compelling Dune is as a narrative that, you know, I, I personally overlooked most of those flaws. I, I just, it doesn't matter at like, you know, whether it's Lynch's Dune, this this version of Dune or, uh, Jodorowsky. Well, that's crazy batshit. That's not (laughs) Dune. Uh, Villeneuve. Um, it just, I get, I get sucked in, I get sucked into the story and I'm just, I'm just invested and I'm there. Um, so maybe I'm overlooking the flaws because I'm so invested in that story and I love that story so much. But yeah, well, I just I, I just appreciated the pacing that uh, Yeah, well well I think like Andrea was saying about how it seems more like a play. I mean I think there's some there's definitely an uh an extent to which this is sort of an artifact from a completely different era in geek culture where mm-hmm. you had to use your imagination more. Like you know, any like, like anyone can watch the Villeneuve movie and like it because it's just so cool, you know. But like, you know, someone, if you're not a science fiction fan, you start watching this sci-fi channel thing. You're like, fuck, no, I'm not watching this. You know, <laughs> it's like it's it's, it, you know, in order to sort of get at what's good about it, you have to be able to look past a lot of the things that are yeah. bad about it. And there's just sort of like there, it's just interesting to know the the big change in geek media that's happened with the special effects getting so much better. But I that, also think know, that the geek geek culture has gotten cool since 2000, or at least much cooler. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to be odd man out in everywhere I worked, and now, you know, like, oh, what are you reading that for? And then, you know, a couple of years ago, oh, I know all of uh, George R. R. Martin's books, and I, I'm like, good lord, you know? <laughs> yeah, fucking dilettantes. <laughs> <laughs> right, but but a lot of that I think is the special effects not being like off, like actively off putting to, yeah. to most people, you know. Yeah, but I also think there's the the cool factor of like even even a well-made science fiction movie would still get people go, you know, oh, I don't watch that science fiction. So I don't, you know, that fantasy stuff. I don't um I think it's just gotten more acceptable for us to be out in the world now. <laughs> <laughs> out of our basement, out of our out of the, parents' out basements. Out of the basement, yeah. 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 Um, I guess another thing I wanted to mention is that, that I, th- I think that this, this adaptation struggled with is so, so Paul, yeah. So, so like Raj was saying, like Paul starts off as this really whiny, annoying teenager. And then by the end of the miniseries, he's become this sort of stoic, you know, sort of 
ethereal, almost uh, prophet warrior character. And so to make that transition, they have they have this like montage where, you know, he like he joins the Fremen and then there's like this montage of them like doing desert raids and, and stuff. And I feel like 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 this this sort of like big sweep of time mm-hmm. is something that a novel handles really naturally and the yeah. film really, really struggles to yeah. to convey. So that's one thing I'm a little nervous now, having seen this um, and, you know, and the Lynch movie as well. Like, how is Denis Villeneuve going to handle that? Mm. Um, that that period where where Paul like yeah. learns to be a Fremen, basically, without it seeming kind of cheesy. Yeah, that's a yeah, good that's point. A good point. <laughs> Sorry. No, I, I at one point <laughs> at one point they mentioned the the child, and I was like, oh god, they already had their child already. Like Leto, yeah. little young Leto, uh, poor young Leto. But um, yeah, I was like, I didn't realize that, that much time had passed, so they didn't really convey it to me. Well enough. Yeah. I mean, I sort of, I half wonder if I mean, since there's going to be two movies for for Villeneuve, if if the second one could pick up like a year later or two years later or something. But they have um, to do the Water of Life stuff first, which happens way yeah. before, like, or at least you know. I mean, by the way, one of the things I absolutely love about this, and I think I love in every incarnation, is. Alia, like I, I cannot get enough mm-hmm. of little creepy kid telling the Baron <laughs> that he's gonna die or whatever the Gamjabar. Like I love all of that. Like I can't get enough. So she worked for me in this one, and of course, you know, I loved her in the Lynch movie as well. So I also really like the scene where uh, Jessica takes the water of life, and um, you know, you sort of see that that vortex uh, oh. that she can't visit. I, I, I didn't. Know, I hated that. that. I hated really? that. Yeah. But that's okay. We can, we can 80s. disagree. It was so 80s. It was so 80s, but it was, I loved it. Everything just kept, felt. I kept waiting <laughs> to hear synth music. Everything <laughs> felt too like, oh, look, now she's in this like realm and there was no art to it. There's no like, um, what am I, like almost the impressionist version of that where it's like less literal and more, you know, simulated, but you know, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> Well, well, I mean, I, I think it would be very hard visually to convey sort of the, true. the histories of, of of minds that she's seeing yeah. and, and I think you the vortex could, of, of reality. You, you, you could, could do a montage could, easily. And I think that would that yeah, would convey yeah. the idea. But again, I think they wanted to have a person show up and say like, oh, now you're connected to me and everyone through me in the past. And then also say, oh, God, you're pregnant. What the hell did you just do? Yeah. And that way, no, communicate that, it to true. the audience um, in a way, you know, like I, I, I'm going to give them credit for being like, okay, we don't want to just have somebody just drop a whole bunch of exposition. So we're going to try to do it more naturally through dialogue, but it involved bringing a lot of people on to say all these things, which felt a little clunky to me, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so, but so, so you don't think there's any way they have to pick up basically immediately after the first movie ended for for the Villeneuve? You don't think yeah. there's any way they could skip skip ahead at all? You would have to do so many flashbacks. You would have to do a lot of flashbacks. But I mean that that is an interesting idea. You could pick up with him sort of being established, and then you you could even pick up with him and have Alia there, and then like sort of, you know flashback to the whole water of life thing because i feel like starting off with this creepy little blue-eyed you know super child would be 
kind of awesome. And then people were like, what the hell's going on? And then the flashback to the water of life. I don't, is there anything else you would really need Could to you, cover there? Is there any, wait, is there any reason why it would have to be a flashback rather than just making that happen later? Like just jiggling the chronology around to have it happen later and in, in the sequence of events because she needs to be at least like what how old is she like six or seven at least in in those yeah. scenes oh you're saying yeah because 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 cause she's pregnant because jessica yeah yeah yeah, yeah so she's it, pregnant with yeah, yeah. that's right yeah hmm but i i think that's an interesting thing because they chose to end it where we saw it and there is a gap because alia has to be a certain age at some point so um so yeah, I, I would actually wouldn't be surprised if they kind of started up after that gap and then filled in some of the blanks because all you or really could need- you like could you maybe um like do the water of life thing as sort of a um like a teaser or whatever and then have like the title sequence or whatever and then we've jumped oh, ahead yeah. to when Ollie is a little kid and then we pick up from there. Also, they have a bit of a cheat because Paul can see you know after a certain point can see all of time basically so like. You know, and and we already saw him see the future and sort of in sort of overwrite bits of the present in the first film, so they could play with that a lot too, as well. But doesn't he have to take the water of life bef- to to get to like be able to control it? He doesn't really sure. control it. But what I'm saying is, once if if you get if you start off with him at or like, I think they could play with it. Like if they start out with him at that point, sort of like. I don't know. It's probably difficult with modern audiences to, to you don't want to lose them as well. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Matt, any thoughts on, on that? Um, you know, I'd just be curious for, for this mini series, like if someone came to it, came to this without knowing the books, without having read it, would they enjoy it? Would they understand it? Yeah. Um, and I, and I know that my enjoyment of it is entirely dependent on the fact that I know the the story really well. Mm -hmm. And if I had come to it without it, um, would it make me want to know more or would I just turn away in frustration? Like, what is this? What is this shit? Um, I think it would make me want to know more. I think that there's just so many layers of, 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 um, of story of meaning. Um, yeah, I mean, as, as far as like Villeneuve, the choices, where, where the director would go, I, I don't know. Um, uh, you know, if you have an ellipses of time, like flashbacks are kind of tough to pull off, but I, but I feel like, um, like, like Raj said, with Paul's ability to see through time, that, that could work. Um, I don't have a particular feeling one way or the other, which, which would be better. Um, I think possibly I might just want it to pick up right where it left off, but just cause I want one long movie. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask a question, David? Um, yeah. So like Matt, that was a good point because, you know, we're all coming to this after not only reading the book, but seeing multiple versions. So we're sort of like bringing that knowledge into this viewing experience, which I am also curious to see if somebody was naive to everything and thrown into this, but that made me like, did, would, do you think any of you having watched this, you know, so where they did explain what a mentat is, where they do explain what, you know, uh, Sook doctor training is and, and all of that kind of stuff, Bene Gesserit, but would you like, 
did that seem like cool and you want to know more about it? Because that was when I watched the Lynch movies, I was like, holy shit, that stuff is cool. That weird stain on their lips and that weird thing on his forehead. And what does that mean? And that like intrigued me. And in this version, I felt like it was just a kind of thing that they told you and it didn't seem particularly interesting or cool or, or separate from anything else. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's a technique that, um, you know, in all narrative art forms is, is that you, you can't stop. I mean, you could stop and explain everything, but I, I think it's more interesting, at least for me, when, uh, some things are left a little mysterious and maybe you explain some things, but you just sort of put these little grace notes throughout that, um, hint of a, of a much wider universe. Um, and that really like, uh, like peaks my imagination and, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think I mentioned on this podcast, like I saw the Lynch film before I read the book and it just, yeah, I was just like, what is this? I need to know everything about this universe. This is well, the coolest thing ever. I mean, one thing in this is that like, obviously it's hard for me to say since I do know all the backstory and everything now, but like, I just, as I was watching this, like, I can't imagine how someone coming to this fresh could possibly have any idea what the weirding way is. Like, I felt like they never explained. Oh that yeah. That's a good all. point. That's I a mean, really good point. So, well, so I, for I all actually the have they... a, no. I was just saying, I I actually have a note in here that I wrote when I was watching this. Is like, does anybody who doesn't know the story, are they can understand what's going on. Like, I I generally have no you know perspective anymore. I don't think any of us have really. Yeah, I guess another thing, like another change, I thought was really bizarre, and I don't know if I just like if I slept through this or whatever. But when um, Paul and Jessica are taken out to the desert to die. Hmm. She doesn't use the voice on the guards. They just no, like, I think they, they skip they that whole skip scene. That whole thing. Yeah. That's one of my favorite scenes too. So yeah. yeah, it just seems like a really bizarre choice to skip that since it's yeah it's one of the cooler parts of the book, and also like they establish you know like then it makes all the scenes where they establish the voice kind of pointless because then it never really plays any role in this yeah story. And well, it, it shows it shows his uh, ability to to do it, you know, starting to bloom. Like you've, the first time you see him successfully be able to use the voice. Yeah, I feel like in this version, they just use the voice. It's kind of like a double exclamation point. Yeah. It, it doesn't really do anything. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting, David, you talked about them dropping the shield stuff and whatever. And it's it, it, it made me think of, you know, he's fighting Gurney in that first scene. And he just kind of like, I'm done. And he walks away. And I felt like that was the miniseries being like, yeah, we're not going to do any more of this stuff. That was just our little <laughs> nod to it in the book. Because... There's a whole big scene about that too. You know, I, they did do the slow blade penetrates, but it was sort of like didn't land the same way. Like to me, that's a, that's a like key iconic scene. And in both of the film versions, it, it hits for me, you know, in different ways, but like yeah. it, it's almost like they did some of these things, but it was sort of like instead of, of dr dramatizing them, they're just like, okay, check that box. Let's move on to the next thing. And, and it has no, again, I just feel like it has no life to it in these moments. Well, I, f I feel like they thought they had time and also they're, everything is so dependent on the exposition and the dialogue that everything, it's so jumbled that you just miss important parts. Like when, when it's more of a film and you're telling visual stories then whenever somebody says something, you know that it's important and right. everything is lost here because everything is spoken out loud. Everything well, like, is explained. Even fear is the mind nobody killer. Nobody has to in fear, uh, in, in, infer anything. 
Yeah, if fear is the mind killer, like falls flat. He says it a couple times, yes. but never the whole thing all the way through. And it just feels like it, it gets muddied in this sort of like stream of stuff they're putting into it. Whereas I feel like in the films, it, it's like it comes in at a certain moment and, and it kind of is a mantra. And it yes. didn't even feel like a mantra in this version. So. Um. All right. I w- can you guys, I just wrote this down. I, I didn't really know what to make of this. I don't remember this from the book, but so there's this scene where the, um, like the head of the space and guild is talking to the head of the Bene Gesserit. And he says, the navigators are concerned. They are disturbed about the future. There's a problem on the horizon. They are troubled by a nexus. They can't fully explore an intersection of events, a meeting of countless delicate decisions beyond which lies a path beyond which they cannot see. It is not a matter of feuding royal houses. We sense a higher order interfering. And maybe, I don't know if anyone remembers this stuff from I the book. I Yeah. Okay, so the, the guild navigators can kind of see the future. I mean, I know they take the spice so they can see enough into the future to navigate through space, but I didn't realize that they were also sort of like prophets or that they could see future, the course of future events or something. Yeah, I think that definitely happens in the book. Yeah, I think they have prescience too. But they're limited again. You know, Paul's the only one who doesn't have any, like, you know, bumpers on his whole ability. So. Okay. And this thing about we sense a higher order interfering. That feels odd to me. What is that? Yeah, Yeah. that that wording feels a little odd, but I definitely that idea is there. I don't know. You guys might know better than I do. That sounds very godlike. That, right. that infers God, and there's I don't I, I or, can't I mean, think, I think of any. They, I think they were trying to infer, uh, infer that that was Paul, Paul, right. Paul but, yeah, Paul but, and his his effect. But it sounds like uh, God. <laughs> uh, then again, I didn't I didn't take it that way when I when I watched it, but yeah, I guess it could be taken that way. But I mean, it actually I, I had sort of forgotten about this, but I, I do remember when we talked about the. Was it the novel? There was this part in the um, appendix about how the Bene Gesserit had sort of, you know, seeded all the worlds with this fake prophecy. Yeah. Um, but then, then it's then it, there's this note where it says, "But given how events turned out, maybe they thought it was a fake prophecy, but they were actually acting at the direction of a higher power." So mm-hmm. it's something to that effect. So um, yeah, I, re- I remember that too. There's also a um, a YouTube podcast called Quinn's Ideas and the guy talks often about Dune and yeah, that was one of the theories that was like, you know, expanded of course in the, in the, in the later books that weren't written by Frank, written by his son, but uh, that there was like, it was the worms themselves or something that were trying to spread throughout the galaxy. I don't know. It, 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 it seemed like there was, more forces at play than we could comprehend. And, and whenever you think you understand, you know, who's behind this particular force, there's another even greater force, a plan within a plan. Within a plan. Um, I don't know. I, I found it fascinating to think about. Well, cause, cause I, I mean, they, you know, the same, I think the same director who made this, at least the sci-fi channel went on to make children of Dune, which covers books two and three. So I get the mm-hmm. feeling that some of the stuff in this was maybe trying to set up, like, I think that's part of the reason that Princess Irulan got such a big arc in this was because she's a character in the next, you know, in the next series. And so they right. wanted to set her up mm-hmm. from the from the early on. Um, and so I have not seen Children of Dune and I haven't read books two or three. 
And I kind of, I would kind of, I don't know if I'll ever have time to do this, but I would kind of want to read books two and three before I watch the Children of Dune thing. Mm. Um, but um, I'll just, I don't know if anyone, has anyone seen Children of Dune? I have, yeah. I have, yeah. It's, when it came out and I started watching it now because I thought we were going to review it for, the, <laughs> for this podcast. Um, I, as I recall, I haven't watched it again, but as I recall, it's much better than the than this one, than this version. And it has James McAvoy in it, right? Has James McAvoy yeah. as Leto, yeah. yeah. And I think they recast Jessica with Susan Sarandon. Mm, no, Susan Sarandon Who plays Irulan's sister. Oh, okay. Sister, uh, but they did recast Jessica. Oh, that's what I thought so. Uh, as I forgot who played, it's uh, the one who played the Borg Queen from the from the oh um the film. Um, yeah, yes. I can't remember her name. Alice something. Al, yeah. Um, Alice Krieger? No. Alice, yes. Is that right? Alice Krieg. Alice Krieg. Krieg. Yeah, and Ollie is all grown up. Yeah. Or at least like you know early twenties or something. Yeah. Um, the acting is much better. Like like you know James McAvoy is very good, as I recall. Mm-hmm. But some of the, are some of the actors the same? I mean, almost uh, everyone's dead. Alec right? Newman like, plays Paul again, oh, and okay. he sort of comes back as this uh, itinerant blind preacher. Yeah. And uh, he's I, I I mean I only saw I think one episode, and he was good. I, I thought he was good. Um, all right, cool. So we're pretty much out of time. Does anyone have anything else they wanted to talk about before we start wrapping this up? I just want to know if anybody else noticed that the um, explosion scenes, they use the same shot over yeah. and over again. Yeah. Oh, the I didn't guy, see The that. big explosion and the guy flying through the air. I just <laughs> – I caught it at least four times. I found the action <laughs> like, scenes like those 80s boring. Exactly, like an 80s yeah. movie. Yeah, like a guy – there's a big, big boom and then a guy flies through like he just bounced off a trampoline. It's, it's awesome. I think the only time I was excited by the action was at the final knife duel where like they give Paul that special effect where he kind of like wavers and moves really quick, I, yeah. I guess because of his mental abilities. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Because up until then, I was just like, eh. Um, <laughs> well, that was really well choreographed, by the way, that last fight. Yeah, that was better, I thought. I thought that was the weirding way just in general, that that's mm-hmm. what they were trying to convey there. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I have a question. Um, does anyone know anything about the Sisterhood, the Bene Gesserit series? Has that has that been greenlit, and is it? Do we have a? Uh, I actually, I just go- the latest thing I could see is it says HBO Max is also planning to do a spinoff series, Dune: The Sisterhood, which Diane Ademu John will oversee. And I looked her up on IMDb, and she's um, been a writer and producer for a bunch of shows i haven't seen but empire was the the one that was the most um familiar to me um okay. but that's that's all uh, and um oh i didn't write it down they 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 said uh denis villeneuve isn't directing the episodes it sounds like but they, they mentioned someone who's um on board to direct the first two episodes but i didn't write down who it was but um but it sounds like it's uh you know it's going um, yeah that that could be really cool i hope they do that justice and actually, also, um, the, the Dune part two, they mm-hmm. said that they're going to start filming it like this, like later this summer or this fall. They haven't or something. started yet? Yeah. I'm, uh, God no, damn no. it. <laughs> they're waiting for Timothy Chalamet to go through puberty first. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Just I kidding. I love Timothy in, Chalamet. They're, 
I mean, they're filming it in the desert in Jordan, so they might not want to do it in the middle of the summer. Summer, yeah, that would suck. Um, I mean, I don't know, but um, but it's 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 uh, you know, on track apparently for a 2023 release. That's so. what I saw. Yeah, that's soon enough. <laughs> um. All right. Cool. So, uh, why don't we start uh, wrapping this up? So, Andrea, yes. final thoughts on Sci-Fi Channel um, Dune miniseries. It, it was worse than I remember, but I had a lot of good laughs for you know, four hours. <laughs> like who, if anyone, would you recommend watch this? I, <laughs> I think you would really only have to be a Dune fanatic like 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 we are. Uh, um, I think if you don't aren't a huge fan of the book and, the, you know, and the story, this is going to turn you off big time. Um, <laughs> the only reason I stuck through it is because. Well, one, because I had to, um, and two, because I just love the story. And even if it's, if, even if it's bad, like seeing a, somebody else's interpretation of the story is, is interesting. Yeah. Uh, Matt, what do you think? Uh, I had fun with this, uh, but like Andrea, um, I think that if you are not familiar with the story and not a huge Dune fan, you probably will be disappointed with this. Uh, if you're, you know, if you love the books I, as a completist, I think you should definitely watch it. It's not a perfect adaptation, but uh, there are parts of it that I, I enjoyed. I had a lot of fun with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like this has pretty much been completely replaced by the Villeneuve movie. It's like now that that exists, I don't know that there's much reason no. to watch this. I mean, I think that before that came out, you could say like, oh, if you don't have time to read the book, but you want to get a five hour you know, Cliff Notes version of what happens in it. You know, this does an okay job at that. But I feel like uh, at this point, probably it's only for hardcore Dune fanatics and for people like writers, if you want to see different attempts at adapting this classic yeah. book and how, what the different approaches have been. But uh, but Raj, what do you think? Do you agree with that? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, like there was a part of me that was thinking like, oh man, it would be great to get somebody who was Dune naive and like get them to watch this first and see what they thought. But I couldn't do that to anyone because I wouldn't want yeah. this to be their first. <laughs> I wouldn't want this to be their doorway into the Dune universe. So I would even say like, I'd rather people watch the Lynch movie just because again, it's it's not about, to me, it's more about the the feeling and the 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 like energy that you're getting from it and just the in, interest in, in how they handle certain things. And this cup, like, it's amazing because it, it is very faithful, but I think this is one of the examples of how being faithful to a book can be a trap because what you end up with is mm -hmm. again, a box checking exercise and not a yeah. lot of life. And I feel like all of the great adaptations condense things, smush things together, cut things out and cover certain, you know, like Lord of the Rings is widely regarded as an amazing adaptation and they cut all kinds of shit. And there's always somebody who's like Tom Bombadil. And it's like, but really, no, Tom Bombadil oh, needed to nobody. go. Right. Like, and if you put him in a movie or a movie or a mini series, people are going to be like, what the hell is this shit? So yeah. like, I feel like you have to make those choices and this, yeah, I think this is an example of like being faithful, but like also being flat and not having a lot of heart or even just like energy. So I would, I would not recommend this for anyone except like hardcore Dune historians. Yeah. And I, I was thinking, just thinking when you guys were talking, Matt, I, I don't know if you remember this, but 
a couple of years ago, we were at a dinner after C, uh, after KGB, and we started talking about this, the Lynch movie. Do you remember? And this is why I, I said to Dave, hey, we should do something on Dune, because you brought it up. And I was like, oh, Dune is the movie that is – it's terrible. Like, it's a bad movie, but I will never not watch it if it's on. Like, yeah, it's same. a bad movie, but it's compellingly bad. Like, I always mm-hmm. watch it. I always sit and watch it because it's a spectacle. This <laughs> – I love Dune. I will not watch this again. Like, do you see the difference? Like, bad movie, yes. but it's compellingly yeah. bad. Like, it's compel. Yeah. It compels me to watch. It is interesting. It's visually interesting. There's a lot going on. This is not something I would ever watch again willingly. And I'm a dude yeah. fanatic, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, like, like I think you said and Raj said that uh, you know the the Lynch version has this aesthetic to it. it has yes. like a vision to it, whereas this is sort of just like yeah. Um, yeah. Let's check those boxes. Yes. And I still I don't, totally agree that the Lynch version is just compelling. Yeah. I still don't think the Lynch version is bad personally, but I mean, I don't think it's a great movie, but I don't think it's bad. But, um, but yeah, I think we all agree on that aspect of it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just put in a good word again for uh, Princess Irulan and Liette Kynes that, you know, and Alia. one of the few reasons, I guess, I guess I would say. Yeah, no, I, I guess I would say, you know, one of the few reasons to watch this is because those characters uh, are either completely absent or, or sort of get short shrift in the Villeneuve version. So, you know, if you, you want to watch see... this for the guild agent hand gestures, that's all yes. got. <laughs> that guy was like, I'm but, in this for 30 seconds. Like, I'm going to make this count. I'm going to make it work. <laughs> make it. I actually stopped and rewound and watched it like twice because <laughs> it was just so good. Uh but it, it did make me wonder, since Princess Irulan is going to uh, appear in the part two of the Villeneuve uh, adaptation, I wonder if if you watch this and if it's going to influence that in in any way. Uh, but uh, I guess Do, we'll see in, did, in 2023. I, I actually like wasn't the. Uh, go, ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, did, if I don't, I haven't read any interviews with Villeneuve, but has he said he's seen the the um, Lynch version? And did he was he? I, I don't know. I was wondering if like he watched that Lynch version or even this one and it was. Oh, I, I can't. I don't know. I can't imagine he didn't, but I, yeah. I don't remember. I'm sure he did. Uh, but but uh, the, di- the writer director of this, John Harrison, according to Wikipedia, he, he's an executive producer on Dune 2021. Oh, huh. Interesting. Dune 20. Yeah. So, oh, the, yeah. The, 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 the Villeneuve, Villeneuve, movie. Villeneuve movie. Yeah. Oh, huh. yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah. So even if we're not crazy about this one, uh, we did get the awesome Dune 2021 adaptation. And I'm sure if he's an executive producer, you know, he probably contributed a lot to that. Yeah. Or nothing. Or nothing. I mean, like, <laughs> again, nothing. he just got a paycheck. It's, a, it's like, a, it's a weird little game. Those executive yeah. producer, producer yeah. credits on films. I mean, if his production <laughs> company also... had a piece of Dune, then they would have to yeah. add him as a thing. So yeah, like, it's, it's, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, I guess we'll probably never know, but, um, but yeah, uh, but we should wrap things up there, but, um, yeah, maybe someday we'll come back and, uh, talk about children of Dune and, um, yeah. And, uh, I'll see you all in 2023 for, uh, for Dune for part Dune. two. Yeah. Awesome. All right. All right. So let's wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Andrea Kale, Matthew Kressel and Rajan Khanna. So thanks everyone so much for joining us. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Andrea Kale, Matthew Kressel, and Rajan Khanna for joining us on the show. 
This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy was made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please support us on Patreon over at patreon.com geeks or via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkertley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.